You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it's given to, for our good. Thank you, Manuela. Let me pray, and we'll spend some time reflecting on this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. And then through this passage, you'd show us not only our need for Jesus and our great failures, but also that you'd make clear to us his great love for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Uh, If it looks like I'm crying up here, I promise it's because of allergies, but if it's for emotional effect, if it helps bring tears to your eyes, then just let it be. Um, If you were to ask the average uh, Torontonian, at least, at least my neighbors, what's sort of the greatest hallmark of our society? What's the greatest value of our society? I wonder how uh, many would respond. My hunch is what sets apart our city, and as we think about global cities, at least in the Western world, is a general acceptance of all, an openness to all. It seems to be a hallmark of our society. Everyone is welcome. Everyone can belong here. You see it in the signs all over our neighborhood. You see it in the way in which we celebrate all cultures, all kinds of food uh, diversity, which can be found all around our city. You see it on places like Twitter and in global conversations, sort of the hashtag, no judgment. Even my little children, uh, when, when, I, when they see me being frustrated, they say things like, you do you, Dad. You know, this, becomes, this has become something uh, not only of just a, a, a sort of a value that exists in our society sort of uh, out there generally, but it's also something that has been codified in anti-discrimination laws. No matter race, creed, sexuality, gender identity, or even gender expression, Uh, you are accepted in our city. And there's nothing more uh, repulsive in our city than discrimination or being known as being judgmental. This has got to be one of the greatest sins of our city. And yet, if this is where Western society is going and we see ourselves as sort of the tip of the spear and the place of progress, and yet, I wonder if you were to ask people like Kanye West, Chris Wu, J.K. Rowling, Ellen DeGeneres, Kevin Spacey, Louis C.K., to name just a few that come to mind quickly. I wonder if they would say that our culture is a society marked by unbelievable acceptance. If our culture is a society that has no limits to who's welcome and who can participate. If our culture is a society that doesn't attack those who are different. You see these names, in case you have no idea who they are. We're all names who transgress some sort of anti-discrimination boundary. 
and found themselves being treated as good as dead, being canceled with no plan with which they can move themselves back into public society. They've been deemed evil. You know, philosophers have spent a lot of time wrestling through how post-modernity and our mindset today can exist with traditional liberal values. Can they coexist, this general openness and acceptance and sort of relativity about right and wrong? Alongside a, a vehement passion for progress, a passion for a world in which there's more acceptance, a world in which things move forward, can these things move forward? And we find ourselves in the horns of a dilemma in society. Will cancel culture win? Or can this open, non-discriminatory, sort of accepting society find a way forward even with people who are different? We have to judge. We have to judge. There's no getting around it. We've got to make judgments at some point, at least at, at some level. Even if you are the most anti-judgmental person, you still have to render some kind of judgment against those who judge. We have to judge. And yet society is here in a perplexing situation. How do we judge rightly? Okay? How do we judge rightly? This is what we're trying to wrestle through. It seems like the standards are moving, and that's why we have to cancel people. Because if we don't take it serious, maybe we'll lose some progress that we've made. How do we judge rightly? Verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge. Verse 6, he tells us about some people who are pigs and dogs. Sounds judgmental. In this very passage, we have these kinds of questions colliding just like they are colliding in society. And in the face of this dilemma, I think Jesus is trying to teach us what judgment is going to look like in the kingdom. When, he's, when he sits on his throne, when his administration rolls out, when he's the high king, what kind of judgments will be rendered? What will judgment look like? And here's what I want to look at this morning, quite, quite a straightforward outline. I want to look at first how not to judge from Jesus. And then how to judge, okay? So first, how not to judge. And Jesus is pretty straightforward. How not to judge. What is, what is wrong judgment in the kingdom of Jesus? How do we judge wrongly? Well, Jesus starts off with this very clear command. Do not judge, what? Lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be measured. Now, what on the earth is Jesus talking about? In fact, if you think about it, much of the Sermon on the Mount has been training us, teaching us as people who want to follow after Jesus to judge rightly, to make right judgments. You remember at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 verse 20, if you're in your Bible you could flip over, what does Jesus teach us to do? That part of this sermon is that he wants people of his kingdom to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, the outspoken religious sort of right, we could say, of the day. He wants us to have a righteousness that far exceeds theirs. And if we're going to accomplish that, we're going to have to use some kind of critical reasoning skills. We're going to have to render some kind of judgment. So we can't be saying that Jesus, in the very same sermon where he says, don't judge, would also be giving us training as to how to judge rightly. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of judgment is he against? You know, is Jesus, by saying, don't judge, telling us that we should be able to always get out of jury duty? I mean, you're welcome to try next jury duty. You know, when they call your name, juror number whatever, to say, listen, Jesus says, don't judge. There's no way I can render a judgment in this case. My guess is you're probably still going to get jury duty, you know. You can tell your boss, uh, when your boss tells you that you need to submit employee reviews, performance reviews, you can say, listen, no judgment. I don't judge. I'm people of Jesus' kingdom. No, what kind of judgment is Jesus going after? It's fairly clear here. 
Jesus gives us a very funny narrative in verse 3, to five, three through 5. And if you're, if you're hearing it read and it sounds fun, you know, strange, that's the point. Jesus is actually using humor. He's mocking people, okay? He's making fun of people. He, t- he tells the story of a man who's basically got a two-by-four hanging out of his eye, protruding out of his eye. Every time he turns his head, he bumps into somebody or something. And yet here he is uh, sauntering over to his brother saying, I think I see some dust in your eye. Let me help you with that, you know, moving the two-by-four just a little bit to the side as it pulls his pupil, you know, try, trying to get this dust out. What's Jesus doing? He's being funny, okay? He's being funny. He's saying, you know, this is like the story when you go to get a personal trainer, and you meet with a personal trainer, and the trainer says, well, let's, let's go look at some of the machines. Let's go make a workout plan. He says, ah, hold on. I have trouble getting up, you know? Can you give me a hand? I can't even stand up. This morbidly obese personal trainer is going to teach you how to get in shape? This is funny, You know, Jesus is mocking these kinds of things. He's talking about the eye doctor that has to sit one inch in front of the screen and squint and say you just can't read what your prescription ought to be. The financial planner who meets with you and scolds you about your poor financial decisions all while you see piles of Lotto 649 tickets behind him. You know, this is funny. He's mocking a specific type of judgment. The type of judgment that we like to mock too. You know, the people who fly in private jets to tell us about the danger of of climate change and the increase in our carbon footprint. The people who tell us that we need to live this decluttered life, Mary Kondo, you know, and then have three kids and then decide, yeah, it's not for me any longer. Jesus is mocking a particular type of judgment that people give, okay? A particular type of judgment. A judgment that points out other people's faults as a means by ignoring the obvious faults in their own life, okay? People who are blinded to the problems that they have, but with laser focus can see the problems in others. This is what Jesus is after. It is a good thing. I don't know if anyone has recently had any dust in their eye. It is a good thing to help someone get dust in their eye when their eye is is troubling them. That's not a bad thing. But it's a foolish thing to try to get sawdust out of someone's eye when you have a two-by-four protruding out of your eye. That's, that's unbelievably foolish. It's idiotic. It's, it, you have to laugh at these sort of things. What type of judgment is Jesus going after? We could say he's going after, he uses the very word, hypocritical judgment in verse 5. He's saying, in my kingdom, there cannot be any hypocritical judgments being rendered. Okay? There cannot be any of these people with a gushing wound trying to take care of someone else's paper cut. That is not okay in my kingdom. Specifically, Jesus is concerned about a a special type of of hypocritical judgments, types, unfortunately, that religious people are quite good at, where we can, with laser focus, see the problems of others, talk about the problems in others in such a way that we can gloss over our major failures and our major faults. We use the problems of others, those people out there, (laughs) those wicked people out there, talk grandiose words about their particular faults, their particular sins, as a means by which we distract ourselves from the great, great problems we have in our own particular life. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Quit hiding your problems by means of critiquing and calling out others. Okay? Jesus knows it wasn't just 21st century, you know, North American Christians 
that know something about religious hypocrisy. Jesus knows that this is very, very easily woven into the DNA of what it looks like to try to say you know the Creator and you understand His path for your life. Now, why is Jesus opposed to these kinds of judgment? Why is He so rapidly against this sort of hypocritical judgment? Well, these judgments, without question, destroy other people. That is their end goal. They break and tear other people down with the assumption that the goal in life is that we build ourselves up, okay? So maybe one way to think about it is they say that this, is, this world is a sort of zero-sum game. We're all kind of prisoners on, in this world that this God created. And we continue to keep having more children, Happy Mother's Day. And because of that, there's more and more mouths to feed. And God is like this grand prison guard who's running out of food. And so basically, so long as we can cut somebody else down, look a little bit better than them, Maybe we will be the ones that get a little more food as the Lord takes care of the other ones. We assume the way forward is to tear people down, to take the competition down. And Jesus is saying in my kingdom that there's no way that this is how things are going to move forward. Our God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he's not a prison guard. He's not a prison guard. In fact, how are we to pray to him? He's a father. He's a father. And which, which parent sits around and looks at their child and says, mm, you know, Hmm, which one is my favorite? You know, I'm making progress, so-and-so's doing quite well, she's doing quite well, he's doing quite well. Boy, boy, this one's a disappointment. I'm cutting them out of the family for a season. What, what good father would do that? Well, some of you might have a father like that, but our Heavenly Father in no way acts this way. He's not like a prison guard. He's not like a bad father. He's a father who, uh, who has had his kids betray him. And yet all he wants to do is to see them all come back home, all come back around the table, all feast with him, all delight in his wealth, all delight in his bounty. And yet Jesus knows this particular type of hypocritical judgment will result in his children cutting each other down, thinking that they can earn a seat at this table, this table that has plenty of chairs spread, okay? Jesus does not want this hypocritical judgment to move forward. Now, one of the ways we could reflect, at least at this particular part of the passage, is Jesus is saying, especially amongst religious people, if you're visiting and you wouldn't call yourself a believer, I, you're welcome to reflect as well. But if, you, if you've followed Christianity or any organization for some period of time, Jesus knows something about you, and he's saying something about you that I have to believe is true in your life, because at least it's true in my life. He's saying that you ought to take stock of those things. You ought to take stock of those things in which you can see so clearly which you can read the paper and say, my God, they're doing it again. These people. Jesus is saying, I guess no one reads the paper anymore, but you understand what that meant. You know, you read the internet. These people, at it again, pushing their agenda forward. Jesus is saying this to you who are incredibly religious, to you who take the Christian faith very seriously, watch out. We are very, very prone. We are very, very prone to be distracted by other people's specks as a means to ignore the log that's hanging out of our own eye. So where do you find yourself hypersensitive? That just might be the area where you have a two-by-four that's bumping into people every time you turn your head. This is how not to judge. Jesus wants us to get rid of this hypocritical judgment, a judgment that is used to distract others and maybe even, we think, to distract God from the faults that are in our lives. A judgment we use where we focus out on others so we don't have to deal with stuff going in our lives. Jesus is saying, that cannot exist in my kingdom. My people are not like that. They do not judge like that. Boy, if there's a word for the church to hear, that can't be what marks us. 
But then what kind of judgment are we to make? How are we to judge rightly? Well, Jesus will say gives us two types of judgments that we ought to make as his people. The first is from this very illustration of logs and specks. Because what kind of judgment is Jesus expecting us to be pros at, to excel at in his kingdom? He expects us to be the type of people who are constantly engaged in self-examination and are judging rightly about ourselves. He expects us to be the type of people who are constantly analyzing our life saying, where is there a gushing wound when I see my brother's paper cut? You know, where do I have this log hanging out of my eye where I see splinters? This is the type of judgment he wants us to be known for, a sort of self-critical judgment, one that is constantly taking stock and evaluating ourselves. Where are we prone to being hypocritical? His kingdom people will be the people who will be the first to admit that our heart's disposition is towards hypocrisy. This is our heart's disposition, to believe that somehow we can earn our God's approval and attention by showing ourselves to be a little better than our sisters and our brothers in this world. We have this great fear that we won't be accepted for who we are. We have this great fear and insecurity around others who we daily walk beside. And Jesus knows that our heart's instinct is to work to cut these people down so that we might stand a little bit taller. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, that Jesus in in his kingdom, his people, what is a marker of them? Are they judgmental? Well, in one sense, they're hyper-judgmental of themselves. Not only are they constantly wondering, where is there a two-by-four out of my eye that I'm ignoring? They're inviting others within community to say, do you see blind spots in me? Do you see problems in how I conduct myself and in my relationships? Do you see something I'm missing in the way I live my life? Do you see something that I'm missing in the way I interact with the people around me? They're inviting judgment to themselves because they do not want to be the person with a two-by-four hanging out of their eyes. In fact, they want to be the person that can actually help somebody remove dust out of their eyes. And yet they know, they know their heart's disposition is towards this nasty hypocrisy. This is, this is the type of judgment Jesus wants to see in his kingdom. A people who are open to self-examination. And a people who have the courage to invite others, rather than trying to knock them down to size, to come and to invite them, to give them, to reflect with them and on them on ways in which they might have blind spots. Where do you have blind spots in your life? Where are there gushing wounds in your life? It's Mother's Day. I know it's a sensitive day. I know, I know, I know in this room there's people with very conflicted relationships with their mother. I know it. And I know today... Some of you are going to see your mom do things and say things on the phone or via email, something passive-aggressive, something condescending, and it's going to light you on fire. It's going to infuriate you. And you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to get out your handkerchief and try to get that dust out of your mom's eye because you are so frustrated with her and her inability to deal with these things that you've tried to talk to her about. You know why you can't seem to get the dust out of her eye? Because every time you look close enough to see the dust, this two-by-four in yours smacks into her. You haven't dealt with your own problems. You haven't dealt with your own resentment. You haven't dealt with your own disappointment. And because of that, you, like a hawk, fixate on these problems in, in, with your mother. Maybe not with your mother, maybe with your father, maybe with your coworker, maybe with your spouse. I think you know what I'm talking about. Jesus is saying, my kingdom people are people who judge themselves first who live self-reflective lives, and who have the courage and the confidence to say, because God is my heavenly Father, I can, I can realize things about myself that are not good. Because he's not a prison guard, because he's not some sort of vindictive judge, 
I can admit when things are not going well. But Jesus also tells us there's another type of judgment where to render. There's a very complicated uh, passage that comes in verse 6. No one's 100% sure what to do about it, but I think it flows out of Jesus' warning about sort of once you remove the two-by-four out of your eye, then you can pull this, this splinter out of your brother's eye. Then Jesus says in verse 6, uh, this, this stuff, he moves from specks and logs to pigs and dogs, right? It would have been a great, great sermon title if I was creative enough on time. Um, but what does he say in verse 6? Don't give to the dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. He just said, judge not, lest you be judged. Now he's telling you that there is something that you have which is as beautiful and precious as a pearl, something you have that is absolutely holy. And Jesus is saying, don't give that beautiful pearl to pigs. You know, don't, these aren't friendly farm animals. This isn't sort of a dog that cuddles up next to you. In the ancient Near East, these are wild and sort of nasty, aggressive animals, animals that would come for your life. And as they're coming for your life, as you see these wild pigs sort of coming at you or these boars coming at you, these nasty, filthy animals, don't try to make peace with them by throwing a pearl to them. Because in, in throwing them the pearl, they'll trample it right underfoot. They don't see any of the value. Pigs do not see the value in pearls. What do they see value in? Virtually anything that can go into their stomach. That's the only thing pigs value, right? Jesus is saying, why would you try to win them over with pearls? It's a waste of time. They'll trample it underfoot. And he's saying to the dogs, the dogs come to attack you. They snarl. They show their teeth. And you take the holy bread. You know, you take holy things and, and you say, maybe this will appease the dog. Maybe they won't attack me. And the dog looks at the bread and wants nothing to do with it and comes it's clear on an attack path. What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying that there is a measure of discernment we ought to give as it relates to trying our best to offer to help a brother get a piece of dust out of his eye or a sister get a speck out of her eye. We've got to have a measure of discernment. These are holy things to be involved in someone's life and to, t- and to point out to them a blind spot they have, a fault that they have. And Jesus is saying this is a very, very precious thing. It's a beautiful thing to offer this kind of self-reflective feedback to someone else. And there'll become a time and a place where you see something clear as day to, in someone else's life. Uh, someone in this church's life, you'll see them um, showing a measure of hypocrisy that's clear as day to you. And Jesus is saying, my people are going to judge first by being self-referential and asking themselves, am I seeing clearly? Do I have blind spots? And second, by saying, is it worth it to give this piece of advice to this person? Or will they treat this beautiful pearl of wisdom like a pig trampling it underfoot? Will they treat this feedback, this confrontation, this rebuke? Will they teach it like a dog on holy things? And it come back to bite me. This is what Jesus is after. He's saying his people also have a measure of wisdom as it relates to this, this huge challenge as it relates to judgment. They are not known for this hypocritical religious judgment, but they are known for judging themselves rightly, removing two-by-fours from their eyes, and being involved in helping people remove splinters. And yet Jesus is saying with a very in a very serious way. Be wise. Be wise about who, who you throw these things to. Maybe I can conclude uh, this way. What Jesus is, is saying in this sermon is that he wants his people to be what? He, he said it in the Beatitude. He wants them to be people who are marked by being poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, people who are merciful, who are pure of heart. He wants his people not to be a people who are arrogant, who think they have the answers to all of contemporary society's moral dilemmas, and have a path forward to fix all things. He wants them to be, a, in a very real sense, people who've been beat up by the ways of this world, exhausted by trying to be faithful as God's particular people. These are the people that he wants in his kingdom, and these are the people who mark his kingdom. 
People who look at their life and say, oh Lord, if you were to judge, who could stand? If they were to look back at the journal of all they've done this past week, they'd realize there's nothing that they've done that ought to earn their attention to their Heavenly Father. The only reason they have their attention is because someone else or someone else has done something. And this is the mystery of the gospel that we celebrate. For the same Jesus who told us, judge not, lest ye be judged. The same Jesus who told us to be careful not to throw our pearls to pigs or things that are holy to swine, or to, to dogs. This same Jesus submitted himself not only to the judgment of this world, as he came and he taught what we're reading here, put before us sermons that were like beautiful pearls, gave to us holy things. They were trampled on by, like, by pigs and they were eaten by dogs. And in fact, Jesus' very life, his teaching resulted in him being martyred, being, being put up on a cross, nails driven into his hands. And what we find out, actually, in the Gospels is not just that his death was this martyr's death, that he was this grandiose victim, but actually we find that this was all part of God's plan. That God would look upon this earth and send his son to be for us this perfect human being that we would ought to be. And our Lord Jesus would take upon the judgment rightly deserved for us on that cross, that we might live a life not under the shadow of a fretful judgment, and become a different type of people because of it. Maybe I'll summarize it this way. The, the Bible has consistently taught, and God's people, Jewish people, Christian people, have always believed that history was running in a particular linear way. And at the end of history, there would be a day where God would call the rolls. Each and every one of us would hear our name, and we would stand before his judgment seat. This has been a universal teaching of God's people, and it's generally reflected in most other religions. There would be some final judgment on the last day. And the mystery of the Christian faith is this, is that one man in the middle of history, was the first to be called before that judgment bar to that courtroom. And he had lived a life that was a perfect example of what it means to be human in every way. And though he died this martyr's death on this earth, our Lord judged him in the middle of history and said, this one is righteous. This one, this one has been judged faithful. And because of that, what Christians celebrate is now when you put your hope and your faith and your trust, when you say, Jesus is my king, I will follow in his footsteps, in a mysterious way, that judgment that he has already received becomes a preview of the judgment that you receive inside of him or under him. And because now you know that as surely as Christ was judged and declared righteous by faith, when you're united to this Jesus, you too are righteous, you become a different person around judgment. Judgment no longer becomes a means to tear other people down. It becomes a means by which we might grow and look more like our great king and be his kingdom people and encourage one another as well to become his kingdom people. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. But he's warning us. He's saying as surely as Jesus was this beautiful plural, as surely as he was this holy, holy thing, he was not well received. And nor will we often be either. And yet we must be a people marked not by nasty, hypocritical judgment, but a people who are willing to look deep inside of ourselves and ask to be shaped more and more like this Jesus Christ, and a people who invite others into this process and are invited by others into their life so that we can all become more and more faithful people of this great King. This is the hope of the gospel. The greatest fear of judgment has gone in Christ. You can know that you are in the right, that you belong, that you have a place. And this should transform then how you become a people in a very, very judgmental world. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, though we know we must stand before you on this last day, we give you great thanks that it doesn't have to be a tremendous mystery. 
We give you great thanks that our Lord Jesus Christ lived this life we should have lived, and he died a death that we deserved. And he did it, not just so that he might be declared righteous, but that he might bring a people with him. He did it so that the judgment and the pain and curse of this judgment that we deserved could be absorbed in his perfect sacrifice. And so, Father, for those of us who find ourselves with very judgmental spirits, would you help us to become the type of people who find great hope in the judgment that Jesus received and the verdict that was declared over him and can be declared over us? And would you make us into a people who now judge rightly with laser focus on our own logs, with a gentleness towards the specks of others? And would you transform our church into the type of church where people would say they take serious the faults in their own life and they are gentle with the faults of others? Make us into this type of people, Father. I feel we've inherited a, a long history of the church uh, being known for being judgmental. Would you change the way in which we're seen by our world by changing our hearts and to make us into a different people in the face of judgment? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.